Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Hey, good morning. All right. Uh, I've uh, I've had the opportunity to speak a lot over the years. A lot of it had to do with uh, surf videos we would do and stuff. And, uh, you know, the most I ever wrote was probably two pages of notes and bullet points and stuff. <laughs> and uh, sometimes I would, you know, do a 20 minutes or something on, on like, what I had written on a napkin. And that was the only thing I looked at. And uh, that's the way I like to speak. But this will be the first time, I think, in my life I, I'm literally going to stare at these these pages. It's too much to remember for me. So I'm going to stare down at this a lot. And uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I love speaking on things that were fresh in my mind when I have the opportunity to, because those are, those are good, um, things you're actually dealing with. So um, when Tripp asked me to speak, forgiveness came into my mind. Um, I had recently heard a sermon on a little iPhone app that I have uh, by Alistair Begg, and I was like, man, I need to hear this. So uh, in my car, I, I listened to it a couple times, and it was the first sermon in a while that I was like, wow. I should I should do more homework on a few issues that have always bounced around in my head that created some confusion in my life. So that would be cool for me today is to share some of those. Um, you know, as long as I, just my story, as long as I remember believing in anything, I remember believing in Jesus. So this is a lifelong um, relationship with God. And, and, uh, and, 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 and it's funny, like, how we have to be studied and we have to stand behind our faith because I had a couple things I'll share with you today that were just like bouncing around as questions for way too many years in my head. So it was nice to confront them. And uh, I wanted to do the message on, the message is called Forgiven. I wanted to primarily talk about God's forgiveness, and we will, because it's so huge and amazing and awesome. But when you talk about God's forgiveness, you've got to talk about man forgiving man. Um, and you gotta, and we're gonna hit some of those subjects I talked about. Um, we're gonna start out with God's forgiveness, and then talk about some struggles with forgiveness, and and the attack on forgiveness is a big one we'll talk about today. Um, that I think will help us. And uh, and the unpardonable sin I wanted to talk about. That was one of those question marks. I'd like to wrestle with that and come out with an answer today. And uh, and forgiving others ultimately, which parallels God's forgiveness. Uh, my key verse today is Ephesians 1.7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavishes on us, continuing in 8. Um, and, and I like that verse in its simplicity. Um, and it speaks of the, the, the huge event God did on our behalf that, in, that involved the blood sacrifice and the spotless Lamb of God. And uh, there's other scriptures that that we could key in on in this uh, in this talk of forgiveness, but that one's a great one. <clears throat> it was a huge event. It's not simple in getting there for God. Uh, you know, in the application of saving man, redeeming him back to to Him, but He left us with a simple opportunity to have a relationship with Him. Um. I have some hopes that this this message will will leave us with. If you, if you could leave here today knowing that if you have asked Christ to be Lord of your life and humble yourself before Him, confessing your sins, that you are a sinner, and that need that you need His help, you are saved. 
if you could leave here today knowing that when you begin that relationship with God, He makes a home in your heart, and you will want to do good, and you will feel Him counseling you and disciplining you when you do wrong. If you could leave here today certain that this love God has shown us is large enough to make us want to love others. And to back up one, um, that's a big issue. A lot of people I know won't believe in God because they they won't believe that certain people can be forgiven. They they will withhold their their own relationship from God based on this ideal they have that this person over here is unforgivable and I don't want to serve a God who can forgive this person. It's a huge issue. It's a huge one. When I talk to my non-believing friends primarily, um, and I don't have an answer for that other than if, if you have a relationship with God, you want to do good, His kindness leads you to repentance. And yes, we do bad things as bad people, but it's not really about that in a relationship. You know, um, When you're married, you don't want to just constantly berate the person you're with to this, to this, you know, well, I mean, to this end that is so ugly. You know what I mean? You don't want to. And so it's like that with God. And, and, um, and this morning I'm touching on a lot of stuff that's kind of untouchable in my mind. So I'm not sure I can exhaust each issue. And that's one of them. I'm just got to walk it out by faith. And, and each of you in your own hearts can do homework and wrestle with it. If you could leave here today knowing that what God has done for us was huge enough to spur you to stand in the face of false doctrine, persecution, hate, and all the rest of it because we rest in His love. Um, so I, I led a Bible study when I was in college. I went to University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and I think it was 19 when I, when I started getting people together at the house on a Monday night. And, and uh, it was cool. Like Some nights we had a good group of friends that would come over there and and um, they continued that Bible study for years after I left. And, uh, I, you know, I was normally subject-based. I, I kind of did that. Like, I would not really go through, like, Romans, but I would I would do it subject-based. And I just remember um, this one subject I picked was the assurance of salvation. And I sweated through the whole thing. Like, as I was reading all the, the scriptures I, I had picked, I, I literally was sweating, like my forehead and T-shirt and underarms. I, I, it's almost like I didn't fully believe what I was saying. It was the only message I ever did that was like that. So this is a point of, um, you know, this is a wrestling point in my heart, this whole subject. And I'm glad that this has inspired me to get into the Word and, and wrestle more with it. Um, I walked away not convinced that a dummy like me uh, could have the assurance of salvation. And there lies one of the frustrations as, uh, as Christians. Uh, whenever I put my faith in myself, I let myself down in any given amount of time, and it leaves me to wonder how is this handled in God's forgiveness. Um, Alistair Begg, he's a, a pastor of Parkside Church outside of Cleveland, Ohio, and... and uh, and I have his app on my phone. I listen to his stuff quite a bit, and he's good, man. Um, good stuff. And I'm going to directly quote him a couple times here, and then uh, and then later on, um, Driscoll of, of Mars Hill Church has some good stuff to say. But Alistair um, poses a question. If we have been forgiven once and for all by faith in Jesus Christ, 
Why then is there any need for forgiveness afterwards? Or, as I added, how do I deal with myself after that life-changing encounter with God? He says, the answer is straightforward. When a man or woman comes to trust in Christ, repent of their sins, and accept freely the offer of the gospel that is given to us in Jesus, sin is not eradicated from their lives. It no longer reigns or rules in their life, but it remains in our lives. What we've been saved from is the penalty of sin. He goes on, When we sin, we do not somehow lose our salvation and relationship with God and have to start the whole process over again, that the penalty may be removed and so on. Or do we, he said, do we have to do that? The answer to that is no. Our relationship with God is intact, but what is affected is our enjoyment of our relationship with God. And then, you know, this is one of those subjects again that, that, that God set it up, that these things, these, these, these spiritual truths parallel what we find in real life. You know, they're not totally foreign to us because, you know, that's how we deal with relationships anyway. This subject would be much like a dad who gives his car keys to his son, but his son goes out and he misses curfew. He had backed into a parked car. He spills burger and fries all over the upholstery. And the next morning, his relationship with his dad is intact. Yeah. But there is an issue that needs to be dealt with now as they sit at the breakfast table. There needs to be a humbling of oneself, a sorry, a learning from the experience, and a walking out of any punishment the Father deems necessary. And there needs to be a moving on. In heaven, we will be removed from the exposure to sin, and it will be a radically different experience. Um, Meditating on this subject uh, brings up the age-old debate of faith versus works. (laughs) And another another one I cannot exhaust this morning, obviously. And, uh, you know, we won't go into that too far, but but I think these are some of the parameters that makes me in the past not want to sit down and study this and answer some of these questions that have been because you run into these huge subjects that you're like, wow, man, you know, I how do I look at that scripturally? And, and we've all done our, our we've all run into this one, and and um, you know, I've read authors in the past, a couple of them where I just had a, such a hard time. Uh, where their works-based proof of their forgiveness is so heavily harped upon that it feels like they are referring to an empty heaven to me. Um, My brain and heart say, you know, if what you say is true, who will be there? Certainly not me. And uh, like I say, I can't go too much into that. But when you talk about for God's forgiveness, that that issue ultimately rears its head, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's other verses besides this one, but this is a good one to remember when, whenever that comes up in, in your mind. Uh, John 6, 29. This, uh, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He has sent. And so that speaks a lot to me. Um, you know, when, when, when dealing with... Forgot, when I first started thinking about God's forgiveness, I realized that I have this illustration in my head of this, this seafaring illustration. It just popped into my head. It was one of the first things that sort of just sprung when I started thinking of it. This boat, this sailboat I have. I have the old tattoo traditional scene in my head of the sailboat on the high seas. But, um, yeah, let me share that with you. 
God has thrown us a lifeline while we were drowning. If we would just reach out and take it, where then he can bring us into the boat, so to speak, and there can be, and there we can dine with him and walk the decks with him and forever have a working relationship with him. This high seas illustration works for me because isn't that what we have in God? Isn't it what he is trying to get us to see and admit that we, in our own vessels, our own agendas, our own works, successes and failures have sunk? And we are treading water in a hopeless sea until we admit our place before him. And we say to him, I am one of the all that have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You are the God of it all and saw fit to save man, to provide a story of fulfilled prophecy, a paid penalty, a cross, and forever an outstretched arm from your vessel, pulling a lifeline back to the boat if we would humble ourselves before you and take it. Like every illustration, um, that one breaks down. <clears throat> it's more not... It's, it's more not Christ throwing a lifeline from the boat. But what he really did was jump in the water and uh, push us up on the boat and was willing to risk the open seas himself. And that's a scary proposition. Um, this is one of my struggles. Uh, and it's cool for me to um, share this one with you. Um, years ago, I had this little question pop in my head. And it became a, a subject of struggle. And um, Tripp and I had uh, lunch like three weeks ago, and I told this to him, and uh, this question that was you know, in my head, and, and, um, and we talked about it. <clears throat> and it seemed like any time I was thinking about God's forgiveness, uh, this this verse would pop up, this biblical verse would pop up in my head, and, and I didn't throw it away because I was like, well, maybe that's God talking to me. Like, maybe that's God, you know, counseling me with his word to understand this. But what it did was create a long-term sort of misinterpretation on my part. Uh, the verse was this uh, from Second Timothy 4, 3, 4. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And I've heard sermons that definitely itch the ears, and that, that scripture has guided me through a lot of prosperity theology and weird sermons that I just know are off. And, you know. But when it comes to this subject, it almost you know, kept me maybe from the answer, it's cool years later to sort of study humanity and see, well, no, you know, I was looking at that wrong. And that began to bother me in regards to faith, grace, and forgiveness. Uh, the question I would hear is, what if my modern-day interpretation of grace is the doctrine in the Scripture that tickles the ears? That's what I was worried about for so long. Anytime I would get too excited about this whole forgiveness, grace, love thing, um, you know, trip, trip, bounce back immediately. He goes, "It would be, it, it would be, if it wasn't counterbalanced. If you didn't have the counterbalance of hell, it would be out of whack. We'd just be these grace monsters, you know, um, do anything you want, and, and the abuse of grace." 
You know, but I, I feel like what, what, what I was doing all those years, I, I would fire back at that question in my head and say, this message of grace and forgiveness hits square in the head of the good news that only glorifies God and not us and proves that we need such a redemption. What, what I've had trouble with and what I was having trouble with may have been accepting that God's mercy and love could be that great, that he forgives, period. Maybe I still strive to grasp the magnitude of the event that happened on our behalf at the cross. It is hard to believe because it's more mercy than we've ever seen. It's more love. It's more grace. It's more forgiveness. And on a scale that we do not have a frame of reference for, God is in a class by himself with this one. We, have, we see the parallels of love, but we struggle to accept this like I'm telling you I have for so long because I don't have a frame of reference for how big this thing is. So, you know, we talk about the hard to believe, you know, and we talk about those poles, God's forgiveness, and we, you know, we throw in the subject of hell and everything. And it's interesting to see what man has done with that, uh, what the cults have done with that in, in large degree. And, and, and here we move into the attack on forgiveness, which is very real. There are many cults and many Christian cults. But they all leave themselves vulnerable to a person seeking biblical truth because you will always find serious distortion. Across the board, they all dethrone Christ. They unplug him. I, you know, I have this other illustration in my head that breaks down. But I just like, if, if God and his working and coming to us and saving man is this lamp plugged into a wall and it's lit, uh, to me, whenever I look into the cults, they've, they've unplugged it from the wall. Uh, And they elevate work such that mercy shown to us by God is monetized and can be scaled and weighed based on what we do. And they usually do away with the biblical picture of hell. This is another pattern that you'll see as you look into them. As if to say that kind of love is too big and that kind of consequence is too too real. And it's interesting, you know, and they all have their take. And it made me think, you know, when it made me return to that question of, as I began to really, you know, look into it, it made me think and return to that question about the tickling years. I'm telling you, this is a lifelong sort of conversation in my head. Big thing for me to confront this. And uh, over the years, I would, I would realize, I was like, you know, maybe... Not only is that not speaking of the proclamation of grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness, but I'm going to flip the script entirely on it. Um, If there's something that tickles men's ears, it's works. It's what they all do. They all dethrone Christ so that man can be elevated. And then you'll find that same pattern when I speak to my non-believing friends, you know, and, and even if they believe God is a force, they're kind of banking on the fact that their amount of love they showed or what they could say to God on that final day, if there is one, will, will add up. And, uh, you know, forgiveness is not what tickles the ears. Your forgiveness requires a humbling you know, one of the calling cards of Christians, and believe me, Christians have done it wrong, and we all, we all miss, 
represent God, but one of the calling cards is to humble yourself before God and admit that you are one of the all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there's no scale here. There's no, you're good, I'm bad. I'm bad, you're good. And that requires, you know, but works. And and, and what I did on a scale um, or stacked in a warehouse sounds good to us men. God, here's what I did, is what the proclamation of works does. But ultimately, these arguments scripturally will not work. The simple good news God offers us is under constant attack. You know, if the, if the climax of humanity was God forgiving us at the cross, fulfilling everything that was spoken before and leaving His Spirit to dwell in the hearts of men, then it would naturally, naturally follow that there would be discrepancy and attacks, that there would be great distortion surrounding the simplicity of it all. We know this. We know, we know how this world works. You've seen it. I've seen it. If there's something good, things in a good amount of time will seek to choke it out. So, you know, I never thought I'd stand and, and share this story, but it is part of my life, and it was a turning point in my life, you know. But um, a cult came to the door when I was living in California, 23 years old, and, you know, I, I try to always talk. And, and sometimes they come back over the years, but this was the first time that I really engaged them, you know. And and uh, and let me say that I have friends who are in what I consider a cult. I have colleagues, past coworkers, uh, guys I still keep in touch with. And and on a couple of occasions, on a few occasions, given the opportunity, I told them, you know, I, I seriously encourage them to take a look at, the, take a hard look at the doctrines that they stand behind, that they're banking on. Um, but, you know, you, you can feel that agenda if you talk to them for a while. And and I'm telling you to clarify, that agenda mainly is to, to dethrone Christ. I kid you not. Um, they, but I, if I remember correctly, when I was 23, they stumped me on the Trinity. You know, another hard one. I believe in the Trinity. God was so excited to leave his spirit with us, no longer dwelling in, in dwelling places built by man, but in the hearts of men. And Jesus, obviously, was God, the spotless Lamb of God who, who, who died for, for me. But the word Trinity is never used in the Scriptures, so they love that. You know what I mean? And they stumped me, man. I was 23. I was like, they fully were like, I was like, oh, And it really, it, it really, you know, as I, as I closed the doors, the, they definitely had a leg up on me from a debate standpoint. And it bugged me like nothing had ever bugged me like in that way before. And I, I don't think I left the house for like three days. I didn't do it much. Maybe to go get fast food. <laughs> and I just, everything I could, I just consumed. I'm like, I'm so mad that I don't have a good answer for this. And, uh, and, and I left it open. I'm like, God, show me, man. Show me the answer. In my research, I did find some patterns. And I continued to research over the years. As the patterns I've talked about, I found that the cults and new religions de- dethrone Christ, and they usually do away with hell. So Christ is not Lord, even if they pray to him in some instances. Then I thought on the other side of that, if you do not believe, and I just discussed this, Christ is not Lord to you. So by deduction, we see what is truly attacked. So the, the, that Christ is Lord is attacked from all sides. 
You know, I came away with a serious nugget, though, and I want to share this with you. Uh, and this has really helped me. I was so excited, and I think it was years later before this really, like, I was excited. This will help you. <laughs> if you could just, it's not an equation, but I'll call it that, and it's another word that breaks down. But it's great when you realize this. That Old Testament stuff proves Christ is Lord. First Samuel 2, two. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none besides thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. If Christ is not the spotless Lamb of God, the one who is holy that the Old Testament teaches about, i got a serious problem standing up here today, and so do you. I'm not forgiven. If He's not the one in history, the Ancient of Days, who is holy, and there is one, I have a problem. It's not that a great man died for us, you know, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. It's not that a teacher died for us. It's not that a cool prophet died for us. God died for us. And if you just settle that in your heart, you can just kind of stand as the, the, the radiation hits you throughout your life uh, to get you away from that, that fact. Another great one is in Isaiah. Spoken hundreds of years before Christ, I, yes, I am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. And it puts to rest a lot of things in your heart. Um, I thought, if we're going to talk on this, I'd hit another hot button for me. <laughs> and it was good for me to look into this. Because there's another crazy, gnarly... These are not light scriptures I'm bringing up today. Um, subject. The subject's heavy, but I... It helped me to look into it, you know, and it's going to help you to hear this. Uh, uh, Mark Driscoll of Mars Hill Church, I'm going to quote him directly here in a minute. But uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that, that subject. What is it? can be puzzling in the mind of the believer talking to the Pharisees uh, who had witnessed Jesus heal a man and then accuse him of using Satan's power to do this. In Mark 3, 29, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. That's what I thought when I read that as a teenager. Truly read that. What? You know? And note that Jesus said this to the religious leaders who supposed they had it all figured out, not to his disciples and not to a crowd, to provide a bit of context. What is it not that helps in answering this? Mark Driscoll does a great thing on this. I watched the video online. He also does later a thing that I won't have time to go into, but uh, he does ten things forgiveness is not. Now we're talking about the unpardonable sin, but it really helps you. You know, It's like, if I forgive that person, do I have to like... like be their best friend for life? He answers a lot of that, you know? What is the unpardonable sin not? It's really important that we know what this sin is, he says. This would be like if there was a landmine somewhere in your house and you can walk anywhere you want, but if you step on that one, it's over. You say, it's very important for me to know where that, that's at. Jesus is saying here, any sin you can commit, I will forgive, but there is one I won't, Okay. What one is that? I would like to know, where is that landmine in my life? 
And he goes on to say, if you're freaking out about this, there's a good chance you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. It means you're worried about it and your heart's right. That's a good fact. Let me tell you what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit isn't. It's not cursing God. That's wrong. But that's not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's not denying God. Peter's going to do that, and he's going to get reconciled with Jesus. It's not doubting. Thomas doubted, and he was reconciled back to God. It's not suicide. And let me stop there for a second. I've had like 15 people I know commit suicide in my life. And uh, uh, I was either really good friends with them or, or acquaintances, but it's a lot. I think it's about 15, 20 maybe. And uh, I thought that. And this scripture popped in my head. I was like, is it? I've heard that argument. It seems like a weak argument. Is that a weak argument in my thoughts over the years? I think it is a weak argument that suicide is somehow unforgivable. And let me address that while we're hitting hot buttons. Um, every time I sin, you sin, you're giving up. You're giving up the good fight for a period of time. Whether that's unknowing to you or knowing. And when you choose the sin of suicide, you're giving up. But unfortunately, you just chose one that's going to end your life. And that's how I see that. I don't think it's unpardonable. I don't think it's outside of God's jurisdiction of grace at all. And I believe with Mark here, it's not suicide. Some have said that it is. They're wrong. It's not murder. It's not a sexual sin. It's not an ongoing sin that you've struggled to overcome. It's none of those things. What is it? You know, and the religious bullies, they, they confronted Jesus. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is resisting all of the work of the Holy Spirit and ultimately rejecting the person of Jesus. This is not something that happens once and then you meet Jesus and have a change of mind. This is something that is a life commitment and you die remaining committed to that position. The position that you and Jesus are essentially face-to-face and you come to the conclusion, Jesus, you're evil and I'm good. Jesus, you are wrong, and I'm right. Jesus, you are not Lord, but I am. I reject you, Jesus. You are not God. You are not Savior. You are not Lord. The Pharisees seem to be committed to that. Their problem wasn't blind ignorance, but willful rejection. That deliberate, continual refusal to believe, even though knowing the truth, seems to be what Jesus called the unforgivable sin. You know, I was thinking shutting God out takes a, a lot of energy to do that. It requires a lot of commitment to stick to that stance. And, and still, for those people who are, who are in that mindset, the invitation uh, remains for them till their dying day from God Himself. And, uh, and you can't talk about God's forgiveness as we move into man forget, forgiving man. Um, Scripturally, you can't separate the two. The Scriptures don't let us. And uh, another scary proposition, but God wanted to see that immediate parallel between what He's done for us and, and how we treat others. And it come, back to my point of if you know the Lord, you want to do good. This, this is not a confusing, scary proposition. If He lives in your heart, you will see the fruit of forgiveness, even if it takes you a long time in your life, I believe. 
So again, Matthew six fourteen through 15, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Heavy. Another gulp moment. The first time I read that. For the first, for the, for real. I say for real because I probably read stuff and heard it as a kid. And it just, there was this point in time where all these scriptures just went. Primarily my late teens, early 20s. And they're still going like this. And I'm happy to share thoughts because there's a lot of unneeded wrestling. Well, not unneeded. It's part of the journey, but you get what I'm saying. The forgiven person is a forgiving person. Is the forgiven? It's been said the forgiven person is the forgiving person. Forgiveness springs from the grace of God. One of the calling cards of someone who has been forgiven, who walks in repentance, is that they themselves are forgiving. When I continually harbor strife in my heart and hold grudges, I not only disintegrate my own life and jeopardize relationships, but I call into question whether or not I have ever encountered true forgiveness myself. Does forgiving equal you allow yourself to be walked on? No. There are situations you must distance yourself from. You can then forgive that person, but that in no way binds you to them. And that's a case-by-case basis. Um, forgiveness is, is good, um, and it's a, a rich element, uh, a rich quality of serving God. And, and um, if I had time, I feel like I do, I'll share this super quick story with you, but um, so I was at a high school party, and I was probably all of 16 years old, and uh, and I just got cornered by these two friends of mine, and it was a peer pressure thing. I won't go into the details, but to get out of this peer pressure thing, they were pretty relentless with it. Uh, I was confused in the moment, and I resorted to something that I hate, and as soon as it left my mouth, I hated it that I'd done it, but it got me out of the situation. But basically, like my two friends were cornering me, and uh, and I said something super arrogant to get out of it. But I knew as soon as I said it, uh, our relationship was forever changed, me and these two guys. We're still friends, and we've had great, great moments together as surfers and stuff over the years. But um, I knew it was forever going to be different. And, and, uh, and it bothered me what I said. It bothered me, this arrogant thing I said in a pinch to get out of this situation. Um, and it was all of 10 years later, I saw one of my friends, Jeremy, checking the waves. And I was just walking up to him, and it was like, this is time. <laughs> he was just looking at the ocean, and I was walking up to him. And I just put, I just said, hey, man, what I'm about to say might not make sense to you. It was a long time ago, but I said something to you and Ryan at a party years ago that I immediately uh, uh, regretted. I can't tell you how many times I've thought about it since. And I would just want to say I'm sorry. And, and, and we had a moment, and, uh, and it, I don't know what it did, but it did us good. We're not the best of friends, but it was such a release for me to do that and to clear the, clear the air. And you can't clear the air with everything in your life, but you can try. And uh, it's good. Uh, 
A few notes on forgiving others. Forgiveness does not nullify a consequence, but that consequence doesn't overshadow the fact that you sought, forgive, sought forgiveness. That's point number one. When we forgive somebody, we are promising to not bring it up to them again, not bring it up to others, and to not think of it, which pretty heavy list there. We need God's help to pull that off. But forgiveness is a wonderful thing. And it's amazing to discover, if you truly forgive, that you can forget a lot of things worth forgetting, like people's offenses to you. And time begins to sweep that away, if forgiven. If not forgiven, it's just this cancer I've found. To refuse to forgive is destructive to the heart. And Alistair Begg did have this opinion. Uh, The number one killer of spiritual life is an unforgiving spirit. In, in Alistair's sermon, uh, three-part sermon that, that meant a lot to me, he, he, he said this, and I don't know whether he quoted it or if this was original thought from him, but to forgive is to put down a 50-pound pack after a 10-mile climb up a mountain. To forgive is to fall down in long grass after a 15-mile run. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. To forgive is to dance to the beat of God's forgiving heart. To forgive is to ride the crest of God's strongest wave. To forgive is to bid farewell to the past and all of its regret and to seize the future with open arms. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Let's pray. Dear God, thanks so much for this message of forgiveness that you've offered to us as as humans (laughs) and that you've offered it to everybody. And and, uh, we just want to thank you this morning that it is so huge. We could spend a lifetime trying to wrap our heads around it, but we just want to tell you today, we know it's huge enough that we'll put our faith in you and and help us with some of these issues in our our hearts and minds. and if there's anyone here who, who doesn't, as I'm praying, know the Lord, do that work with God. And I just want to say, like, my, as we say amen, <laughs> my, uh, my, my buddy Nick, just, he just kneeled down as 14 years old next to his bed and gave his life to the Lord. And it was a private moment between him and God. And I just encourage um Anybody who's here who has never done that to, to make that peace with God. Uh, Nick, Nick, it forever changed his life, and he believes, and God has done amazing things with him. But do that, do that time with God. So, Lord, um, thank you again, and, and, and you are to be praised, Lord God. And, uh, and thank you that you have done this incredible story to redeem us back to you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.